Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Before we start tonight's program, we pay homage to a great musician. Lou Reed's death saddened the entire world, with the exception of Christopher Pine. Last time he was in Australia, he performed right here in this building, also curating a groundbreaking lineup for the Vivid Festival. So tonight we honour Lou Reed, not with a minutes of silence, but with a minute of his much lauded but misunderstood opus, Metal Machine Music Part 2. Thank you. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. Are you ready? FBI Radio recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight, Kyle and Jackie O call it quits from their radio show, but promise to continue to bully rape victims in the street for fun. The Australian Electoral Commission admits that it has lost 1,375 ballot papers from Western Australia. And it says, if you see those missing 1,500 ballot papers, let them know where you last saw those last 11,000 missing ballot papers. And we serve penance with Peter Rollins, who says that we're all doing religion wrong. Makes sense, as my parish priest is now behind bars because he'd done wrong for years. This is... Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Festival of Dangerous Ideas version of Irrational Fear. Fantastic. Or as I like to call this session, uh, uh, the Festival of Dangerous Fear. Um, now, as a little girl, it was a dream of mine uh, <laughs> to perform here on stage at the legendary Sydney Obeid House. Um, <laughs> and thanks to my family connections, I've made it. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, grab a drink from Joe on the way out. He's... Uh, He's serving up drinks for free. Um, now, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, or FODI, as it has become to known, is popular for inner-city intellectuals and spinsters from the North Shore to come to the Opera House. 
for a nice day out, to do what their New York Times paywalls can't. Um, be seen in public looking intellectual with other Condé Nast subscribers. Now, and if you even know what Condé Nast is, you know, you've made it. Well done. Um, if you don't know what Condé Nast is, just look at someone who's looking a bit smug right now. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what it is. Of course, anyone can pretend to be intellectual from their own home, in their own pyjamas, just uh, tweeting along with the Fody hashtag, but to turn up is another thing, so well done. Now, there are many great things at this festival. There's lots of great things. Here's just a few highlights that I've picked out. Sunday, 4.15pm, Peter Hitchens proclaims there is no war on drugs. His main evidence is that despite being a known drug user, KFC's vegan spokesperson, Joel Madden, is still allowed in the country. Uh, Saturday, 8pm, the creator of The Wire, David Simon, explores why some people are more equal than others, looking at those people in our community who face discrimination every day, namely people who haven't watched The Wire, being harassed by those people who have watched The Wire <laughs> to watch The Fucking Wire. <laughs> and by the way, you should really watch The Wire. It's transcendent television. It's very good. <laughs> Sunday, 2.30pm, The End of Men. Author Hannah Rosen explores the lack of women on Abbott's front bench in her book, The End of Men. Uh, hot in the heels of this bestseller, author and minister for women, Tony Abbott, will launch a book of his own, The End of Menstruation. Um, <laughs> let's meet our fearmongers for tonight. He was voted the best Tony Martin impressionist of all time. Hailing from Triple J, Lewis Hobber. You've got an opinion on everything. I do, Dan, um, but I've got to tell you, I don't do Tony Martin impressions anymore. As of tonight, I'll just be doing Joe Hildebrand impressions. <laughs> yes, very good. Doing very well. Infamously sacked from Channel 10 for making a human being, journalist Tracy Spicer. Is it a surprise that Christian fundamentalists are right? Not at all. In fact, you heard it here first. The rapture is coming. I will reveal to you who the real Jesus 2.0 is, which it's not bad being an atheist. Really. Hopefully it tastes as good as Vegemite 2.0. He's about to start a new job at Channel 10 on Monday, but his wife is due to give birth today. How long will Joe Hildebrand be in his job for? Yeah, they're basically deciding whether or not they should sack me on Wednesday or do a live cross to the maternity ward. <laughs> I think it's yeah, I think it's coming out right now. Yeah, we've got just 50 more minutes. Just 50 more minutes. On loan from Mad as Hell, Hungry Beast and Triple J, Veronica Milson, what's so disingenuous about grieving for celebrities on Facebook? Absolutely nothing, Dan. That's the message I'm going to be getting across today. Celebrities touch us all in different ways. And if you're lucky, it's on the boobs of the Logies after party. This is Irrational Fear, delivering you more truth than Greg Hunt's Wikipedia entry. Now, it's time for a bit of a catch-up on what the, uh, the government's been doing in their first 30 days of office. So in order to make it a bit more engaging for an Opera House audience, we've decided to get, uh, well, well, here's a little segment we like to call the Opera House of Representatives. So please welcome Madam Singer to the stage. <laughs> welcome, Madam Singer. Now, uh, what policies are the Abbott government enacting, Madam Singer? Please, get us up to speed. Scrap, scrap, scrap! Abbott will scrap the 30% mining tax imposed on coal and iron ore mining. Oh, Abbott will cut the mining tax. Well, that's uh, sweet relief for poor old Clive Palmer. Tell us more, Madam Singer. No, no, no! No what? No to same-sex marriage. Why? Consistency and something to do with an old book, apparently. 
yes. <laughs> the old book where Jesus has three dads, yes. Uh, it seems... Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> makes sense. How many dads is your child? Don't worry, let's not answer that. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're singing, though. We're starting to get a bit depressing. What else? Abolish! Abolish! Abolish what? Heterosexual marriage? Well, that would be consistent, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, uh, <sighs> no, Abbott will abolish the carbon tax. He will also cut carbon emissions by 5% by 2020 by planting trees where there are not trees. <laughs> what else? Clean, Clean energy, energy board. board. Climate change authority. Climate, Climate commission. commission. Oh, what else, Madam Singer? Stop, stop, stop. Stop the boats, yes. No, 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 no I, I need a drink of water. <laughs> no. Madam Singer, everyone. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Encore. We haven't written any more jokes. Doesn't matter. Now we've caught up on the policies of the major party. It's, uh, it's not the only game in town right now. The Senate is under immense transformation. And uh, the new kid on the block, Clive Palmer, he proves that it's possible in Australia for any billionaire to grow up and become a senator. Uh, <laughs> he's even controlled uh, the Australian Motorist Enthusiast Party to, uh, to form a voting block. I don't know if you remember those guys. They're the guys with the very much uh, uh, brave policy of a pro-poo-throwing agenda. Um, uh, that's very good. Um, so the dangerous idea is... Clive Palmer. Is Clive Palmer the most dangerous man in Australian politics or is he harmless? Tracy Spicer. I grew up in Queensland when Clive Palmer was the spin doctor for Joe Bjorki-Peterson and he was harmless, right? <laughs> if you like living in a fascist dictatorship. So, yeah, I think harmless. I think at the moment Clive's currently building um, the Titanic 2 and a dinosaur park. So eventually he will have a prehistoric <laughs> army capable of travelling by sea. So <laughs> he's not dangerous yet. But keep an eye out. <laughs> I think he seems to be under control, but if he starts to get dangerous, we could all just run away and see if he could catch us. <laughs> Very good. I, I that... think... Um, I, I just don't know if we can use the word idea and the words Clive Palmer. <laughs> right. Good point. He seems to have a lot of ideas, though, Joe. Uh, he do, does have a lot of ideas uh, in the sense of sort of vague thought bubbles that sort of exists somewhere in the ether, but in terms of things that actually might get done. Like the Titanic and the dinosaurs, they both ended quite badly. Why would you, why would you want to recreate them in the present day? Think about it. Well, what, what kind of ideas can we expect from Clive Palmer? What are, they, what are his genuine... What's his genuine platform, Tracy? Well, he's got this excellent idea about cutting tax by 15% and almost magically people will spend so much more money that the government's coffers will be filled with GST. So I just think... <laughs> Do you think that Clive Palmer has the, the interest of all Australians at heart, Lewis? Uh, I think if anything's close to his heart, it's going to be the kind of thing that gives a guy a cardiac arrest. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. He has, he has a KFC bucket close to his yeah. heart. <laughs> Well, already Palmer's puppets are causing a stir. Jackie Lambie, Senator-elect for Tasmania, yesterday said she'd like uh, a Senate inquiry into the Greens for ruining Tasmania. 
Yeah, the Greens, the same people who stopped the Franklin River Dam. She said she's also concerned about Queensland bikies moving to Tasmania and that she'd rather tourists instead. I guess once she gets rid of those Greens, those tourists can check out some stumps or some, <laughs> some other uh, amazing uh, infrastructure. Um, could Jackie Lambie be Australia's Sarah Palin? What do you reckon, Tracy? Absolutely. In fact, at the end of that press conference after the cameras stopped rolling, she talked about her foreign policy ideas. No. And she said, I can see New Zealand from yeah. my house. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I don't think she looks enough like um, Tina Fey, and that's Sarah Palin's mm. biggest coup. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Joe, is Jackie Lambie right? Um, what, what, why does she want a, a Senate inquiry into the Greens? Well, it's extraordinary, and I didn't think this was possible because uh, a lot of people uh, accuse the Greens of being a very sort of simplistic, single-issue party that, that speaks in very sort of basic language to a constituency that doesn't really understand the subtleties of, uh, of, of complex political policy making, And yet they are t- still too smart for Jackie Lambie to understand. <laughs> so the Palmer United Party is extraordinary in the sense that it is the only minor party even stupider than the Greens and it is so stupid that it doesn't even understand the Greens. And so in order to understand the Greens, it has to have a Senate inquiry into what the Greens actually are. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I can save, uh, you know, the, the taxpayer, you know, tens of thousand dollars here. The Greens just like fucking trees, all right? It, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it. it seems to me they don't need a Senate inquiry, rather just a sticker book with trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jackie Lambie just learnt the word Senate inquiry. So, <laughs> just trying to say. Well, guys, uh, we've got a very uh, unique opportunity, thanks to the people here at the Opera House. We've actually got uh, Jackie Lambie on the line. Let's see if this works here. Um, uh, g'day, Jackie Lambie. Uh, thanks for joining us for Rational Fear. Yeah, can I start by elaborating on my passion for the state of Tasmania? Well, actually, we just want to talk about the lost votes. Actually. Yeah, the state of the state of Tasmania. Um, sure. Well, the divide between Australia and Tasmania is bigger than we thought, and it is dire straits. Oh, you mean Bass Straits? Exactly. And the people on the ground here are in real sufferance. Uh, how do you mean? What... Well, anyone with two heads can see the Greens are to blame. They did them things that left Tasmania in real bass straits. You mean uh, dire straits? Exactly, the sultans of swing. Right. And that's why there needs to be a Senate inquiry into them. Right. Uh, well, a Senate inquiry into the Greens? Yeah, really? and other things. Like what? What other like things? hippies. You want, a, you want a Senate inquiry into hippies? Yeah, and also into lights and camera. Do you even know what a Senate inquiry is, Jackie Lamb? And interview man and opera house. Well, Jackie Lambie, I think that's all we have time Thank for. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Jackie Lambie, everyone. <laughs> I, would, um, I, would, I would actually quite like to see a Senate inquiry into hippies. <laughs> would you? I mean, you just, support that, would you? Well, you could just imagine sort of John Faulkner on the end there just going... Why won't you just take a bath? (laughs) (laughs) Veronica, what's the most dangerous thing about Jackie Lambie? Oh, that she'll find out about that video and launch a Senate inquiry on my ass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Now, Clive Palmer this week announced that he was the winner of the seat of Fairfax after the AEC did two recounts. Each of those recounts resulted in a different result. Holy shit! This is incredible, right? As first, uh, uh, you know, many people thought that Clive Palmer was being a bit of a loony, but surely there must be other mistakes the AEC uh, haven't admitted to. to. Uh, what do you guys reckon? Is, does, is the Australian Electoral Commission all it's cracked up to be, Joe? It's, well, the, the amazing thing is that Clive Palmer has actually managed to encounter the only entity on the planet who is more innumerate and numerically illiterate than he is. Hey, Wayne Swan, come on. Well, Swan is right up there, don't get me wrong. I mean, all Queenslanders are really, you know, kind of neck and neck. But... Hang on there. Present company accepted. In the case case of uh, Clive Palmer and the brick with eyes, no necks are actually come into it. But, um, But it's incredible. You've got... Clive Palmer, who can't add up, you only have to look at his policies, and then you've got the AEC, who can't add up, and then you've got the mathematicians who tell us that a negative plus a negative equals a positive, but that's clearly not the case. We've got a negative plus a negative equaling another negative, which is Clive Palmer getting into the Senate. Yes, so it's, it's, very good. it's actually tearing a hole in the entire fabric of space-time. <laughs> Well, surely it's, it's difficult to misplace 13 or 1,400 votes. Where do you think they are, Lewis Hopper? Where do you think these votes are? I think if you, these ask, ballots? I think if you ask Clive Palmer, he'd say Wendy Dang had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> See, Clive Palmer's the, the only one who comes out of this looking good, so I think he ate them. <laughs> I reckon a dingo ate them. Yes. <laughs> a rational fear. We promise you more happy endings than Titanic 2. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Hopper. Oh, hello. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And then just as I was getting up, then I realised that half my jokes are about masturbation. <laughs> so, uh, whew, August surrounds. <clears throat> uh, my mum is four rows back, so Hi, just uh, be nice careful. see you again. Be careful. <laughs> Nothing like that. Jesus. <laughs> you people. Can someone get some earmuffs for my mum? <laughs> Uh, no, no, stop. Okay, the other day a Swedish judge ruled that a 65-year-old man arrested for masturbating on a crowded beach had done nothing illegal because, I quote, he was not pleasuring himself towards anyone in particular. <laughs> it was a surprise. No one really expected a guy caught getting off to get off. But God bless the Swedes, they did it. And now, thanks to their famous massages, Sweden is a great place for both a rub and a tug. Essentially, that means in Sweden now you can jack off in public and as long as you're not looking anyone directly in the eye, it's totally cool. That means you can add Swedish perverts to the list of things you shouldn't make eye contact with. A list that already includes velociraptors, hypnotists and backpackers on the street trying to get you to join their charity. But I mentioned the Swedish masturbator because I read maybe half a dozen opinion pieces on him. Everything from, is Sweden a public masturbator's paradise? Yes. To, is public masturbating a laughing matter? Also yes. And as I read these opinion pieces and saw more and more of them appear on news.com.au, The Herald, The Age, The Guardian, I realised something. That a man had jerked himself off in front of an audience, had a great time, but left that audience feeling much worse than before he came. Arrived. (laughs) And that's exactly how I felt. Oh, you got there? 
Full points to Dan. He got Very good, Lewis. Very good. Yeah. You can stay. But that's exactly how I felt when I read these opinion pieces. And that's how I feel when I read most opinion pieces. Every time I pick up a paper or click a link to see some, someone telling me their stupid thoughts on a stupid issue, I feel like a member of the Swedish public. Not the one stroking his member, but one forced to watch while someone I don't know and don't trust pulls out the cock of their intellect and proceeds to ejaculate nonsense against, across the previously enjoyable beach of my daily news consumption. <laughs> That's quite a metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. You resemble That's right. Mark. Irrational fear is here to tell you what you should be afraid of out there in the world, but today the danger isn't out there. It's in here, in this very room. No, I'm not talking about you. You can relax. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about the scourge of opinion writers. There was a time not long ago when journalists would write stories that informed the public. And once they had a reputation for trustworthiness, they'd occasionally write their opinions on an issue they were informed about. For us, back in the day, it might be someone like Laurie Oakes. Laurie would write opinions about politics, and people would read them, and people would be informed. Of course, these days, Laurie has an opinion, a good opinion, about as often as he sees his toes, and is wheeled out like a novelty oversized penguin by Channel 9 in an attempt to distract from the fact that Karl Stefanovic is now their most senior journalist. <laughs> they say opinions are like arseholes. Everyone has one. I wish that were true, because then people would only have one opinion. <laughs> but these opinion minions pay their mortgage by having one or two a week. That is up to 100 opinions a year. The only other person who thinks I need to hear their thoughts on that many issues is my mum. And her thoughts aren't behind a paywall, unfortunately. <laughs> Can you imagine the arrogance of a person who thinks they have that many ideas a year that need to be heard by a nation? Not even God, the creator of the universe, was that self-absorbed. He wrote one opinion piece, two stone tablets, ten dot points, bam, he's out. <laughs> So what happens when a deadline looms? An opinion writer is up to their 437th career opinion and they discover they don't really have one this week. Well, you get recent nuggets of gold like news.com.au's Why Smartphones Aren't So Smart. Is this phone thing out of control? <laughs> Or another telecommunications-based Pulitzer contender from Paul Sheehan, detailing the thrilling saga of how he lost his phone at a supermarket. <laughs> the best thing you can say about these opinion pieces is at least they weren't about Russell Brand. <laughs> And every national outlet publishes them. This week, ABC's The Drum gave us Adelaide, more than just the nation's punchline. Its key arguments being that it has heaps of wine and is also the nation's recycling capital. <laughs> well, I guess we'll be cancelling that trip to Disneyland. <laughs> wine and recycling. All the perks of Adelaide involve getting trashed. There's more. The Age even published an opinion piece recently claiming you don't take the kids to a show to buy show bags. No, you take them to a show to see the best cows in the land. 
That is as useless as tits on a bull. <laughs> but way less interesting. If there was a bull with tits at the show, sure, everyone should go see that bovine freak fest. But there wasn't. I checked. <laughs> Someone took a paycheck to tell us all that cows are more interesting to children than themed packages of lollies and toys. That's not just pointless, it's dangerously inaccurate. <laughs> and so what's the result of all this opinion for cash? Noise. Endless noise and distractions. And not good distractions like a guy masturbating at a beach, but terrible ones, like a dozen people's thoughts on a guy masturbating at the beach. Hemingway said once, once something is written, you have to stand by it. Sure, he also called Jewish people kikes, so I'll admit he wasn't right all the time. But I really like that sentiment. It, the writing thing, not the Jewish thing. In an ideal world, opinion writing wouldn't be a job. It would be something people did when they had an opinion. And yes, the irony of me opining about opinions hasn't escaped me. As you can see by my glasses, I have a well-developed sense of irony. <laughs> but writers who churn out incessant opinions should have to follow the same rules as that guy jerking himself off on a Swedish beach. None of them should be able to look us in the eye. Because the masturbators, because it's illegal and weird. And the writers, because they should be ashamed of their needless articles about things as irrelevant as a Swedish public masturbator. I only thank God that when my children's children are around, there won't be any newspapers or beaches. Thank you. <laughs> But it is a pretty serious question that Lewis poses. With everyone with, armed with keyboards and phones, everyone's got opinions and everyone's building their own audiences, how hard is it these days to make a living out of opinion, Tracy? Let me just get over being ashamed of my own existence first <laughs> and then I'll answer that question. I'm jealous, though. You guys get paid more than most people to ejaculate across a page. <laughs> See, that is really easy when you masturbate yeah. and really easy when you write something offensive. So, for example, if you're an otherwise uptight prissy newsreader and you write something with fuck in it, it makes people pay attention. <laughs> right. Joe, how hard is it for you to kind of... Uh, you Obviously, you're everywhere. You're, you're yeah, on every, right. that's, every that's channel, right. every paper. Yeah, and just when you thought that wasn't enough, I'm also Laurie Oakes' editor. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you very much for that, Lewis. I'll, I will pass on your regards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know this isn't perhaps entirely the point, but he, he has lost a lot of weight recently, and so <laughs> his toes have come into sharp relief. Um, Look, I think um, the, the real take-home message from this, as you say, everyone is a keyboard warrior. Anyone with, who can afford a computer and, and with the know-how to set up a computer, which, um, according to my column this week, is not me, <laughs> um, can, can just write anything. So I think the, the take-home message is clearly that um, we have to, as a society, do the, the responsible thing and just uh, leave opinions in the hands of uh, the people in the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> Let's somebody tweet that. Let's say, say no one, no one else knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> um, well, at the Andrew Ollie lecture last week, Leeds uh, Fitzsimons gave a speech about two things: gender bias in the media and social media and how it's changing the industry. Over the last seven years, um, we've had this conversation a lot. Uh, when do you think the mainstream media will get over? talking about how <laughs> social media is ruining their industry. But all, the, all the social media does is talk about how mainstream media is ruining the world. <laughs> so it's a, quite a nice symbiotic relationship. Right. 
Like we're going, oh my God, social media, it's going to destroy us all. And social media goes, oh my God, mainstream media, it's destroying <laughs> us all. And it turns out that no one's really destroying anything. Everyone's just talking a whole lot of shit. <laughs> right. And, and nothing will happen. Um, Lewis and Veronica, you guys work at the National Youth Broadcaster. Young people use a lot of social media. Do you ever uh, have these conversations in your workplace about social media destroying your medium? Oh, we're too busy sexting. Kids, am I right? <laughs> 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 I think just um, with the internet generally, I don't think anybody at Triple J is threatened by the fact that um, anyone can get whatever music they want online in an ideal playlist for free. Like, that's not an issue for us. Yeah, so. but they can't, they can't call in and tell, and tell Spotify where the weirdest places they've had sex. Yeah, yeah, that is true. a unique service we provide. <laughs> a rational fear. Opinions are like assholes. Joe Hildebrand wipes his on any paper. <laughs> many bargains at the Federal Parliament House in Canberra, you'd be mad to miss them. Skiing trips were $460. Now, zero bucks. What about $1,700 for attending a wedding? Not for a federal politician. Now, zero. At, at Parliament, Parliament House. House. What about George Brandis's library? What does the receipt say? $20,000. How about $20,000? Nothing. Flying in a military jet aircraft because you're two elitists to catch a free Qantas business class seat was $2 million. Now, fly away. No more to pay. Zero smackaroonies. Where do you get these bargains? At Parliament House! Ladies and gentlemen, Veronica Milsom! To the dullards who claim dislike for social media because youth status updates apparently revolve solely around what we had for lunch or how cute dogs dressed in in Halloween costumes are, get out. Get out right now because you're insensitive and you don't understand. Things have changed. Status updates have changed. Did you not see the outpouring of grief from millions of Facebook users this past week? Each took a minute from their day, bravely put finger to keyboard to write a heartfelt status, both deeply mourning and celebrating the life of a celebrity they never knew. They had a condolence message to deliver and a tidy three-letter acronym to do it with. R.I.P. Lou Reed. No longer is Facebook about me, I, myself and my cat. A Facebook condolence is one of the most selfless acts in existence. (laughs) Like taking a bullet for a zombie, sponsoring an ugly child or reading a picture book to a blind person. It's about young people being gallant enough to bear their innermost feelings and grievances, which is scary and risky, particularly when it's over the loss of a universally loved rock star. What, you think that we're doing it for ourselves? How dare you? How dare you sit there and smugly think to yourself that it's all a ruse, a form of social currency to associate ourselves with the coolness of a beloved icon by trading in on his ill-fated demise. You sick freak. This pretense that we update Facebook statuses because we're establishing our personal brand and inflicting our notice-me grief on you is misinformed. Me and all my friends all loved Lou Reed well before the moments after we heard he was dead. (laughs) Same goes with Whitney Houston, James Gandolfini and the guy from Glee. The the disabled one. Oh, no, 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 no. The um, the snappy-dressed gay one. No, the one who I OD'd and was dating the Jewy one. 
Oh, Cory Monteith, thank you. <laughs> we all loved him, and all of them, and our love lasted at least as long as it took us to think of a better status update, and that can sometimes be multiple minutes. Even my cousin, who's an adorable, pimply teenager, born 30 years after, the, after, after Reed made some of his greatest music, had the good heart to pay tribute to the rock legend. His status was simple, moving, compassionate. Lou read, you are the man. (laughs) Spelling errors aside, he had a point. Ignore the fact that his sentiments may have been strategically generic, giving an impression that he didn't know who the fuck Lou Reed was or whether, in fact, he had died. In fact, let's be honest, it did sound a little bit like he thought Lou Reed was a friend of a friend who needed reassurance about some gender identity issues. (laughs) And sure, it would have been more accurate to have said, you are definitely the dead man, but... That's just getting nitpicky. None of that matters because everyone who saw his status knew vaguely what he meant. His heart was in the right place. Another great one that popped up on my feed read, So glad I got to see Lou Reed live on stage eight years ago. Vale, Lou, what a great guy. Now, I thought that was clever because not only is it informative, shows clear associations, it also has a sense of topical unattainability for others. She's done what no one else can ever do again. See him live. Or alive, as the case may be. (laughs) Obviously, the sooner you rush to post a condolence immediately post-mort, the more sincerity and integrity it has. It's breaking news, and your Facebook community deserves to know at roughly the same time as the coroner. And if that means creating a list of celebrities who are teetering on the edge of terminal illness or look like they could have a mental breakdown, we'll start drafting up a bunch of one-liner obituaries. No one's going to judge you. God knows we've all been sitting on the ones about Nelson Mandela for far too long. minute updates on which celebs died um, and why we're hastily mourning over them ensures that we're grieving simultaneously, which is reassuring because it's kind of like what we do in real life, only it's online. I remember pre-social media friendship groups would gather and the conversation would read almost like the script of a 2013 Facebook feed. Say, for example, the scene of a Saturday night dinner party in 2006. Did you hear that Steve Irwin has died? Oh, my MG, super sad. R.I.P. Just got news Steve Irwin is dead. Not confirmed. Confirmed Steve Irwin died last night. Wow. Heart is exploding. Like his did. Lol. Not funny. Sorry. (laughs) R.I.P. Rewatch The Crocodile Hunter made me cry. R.I.P. to a man we all love. R.I.P. Did anyone else hear Steve Irwin is dead? R.I.P. Steve Irwin, you would definitely demand. Conversations would go back and forth like that for hours. Nobody disagreed on anything and they'd never be stilted or disingenuous. Just recognising Irwin for the guy in the public eye that we'd 100% fictionalised in our mind to be. And if nothing else, he'll be resting in peace because I don't know how many RIPs it takes to make a cold body in the ground feel at ease, but it can't be more than a dozen, right? (laughs) And as the public, we have a right to mourn a celebrity death. Just like we have the right to know... Um, if they have a baby bump, who they've been having an affair with and have full access to any sex tapes they've made. But that's what it means to be a celebrity. It just goes with the territory. And if they don't like that, they can just go and jump off a bridge, which would be super sad because suicide is one of the most heart-wrenching type of celebrity deaths (laughs) and also the ones where you don't really get to see many of the pictures. Car crash equals ideal. Thank you, Diana. Tonight, join me in paying tribute to the people we don't know on social media who pay tribute to the deaths of people they don't know on social media 
And let's ride the grief wave because condolence status updates ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Just like Nelson Mandela, still waiting in my drafts. Veronica Milson. I believe not since The Chaser has anyone done a Diana joke. That's good. I thought it needed to come back round. It really needed to come back round. Um, in case you were wondering, uh, yeah, in case you were concerned at all, 1999 global smash hit superstar Lou Bega uh, put, a, put a message on his Facebook just letting everyone know he's still alive. Uh, just wanted to let you know. His uh, career, mum- unfortunately, quite dead. Uh, yes, Mumba number five stopped being... It, uh, um, that, that, is, that is not actually as uh, strange as it may sound, because one of the many things I do at the Daily Telegraph is at the Saturday Features section in which we have the sort of longer, more thoughtful pieces in the Daily Telegraph. So, you know... You guys at the Opera House all read the Daily two, Telegraph, right? Three <laughs> syllable words. That's right. <laughs> it's, um, it's another newspaper in Sydney. Don't worry about it. It's, it's not for you. Um, but, um, but we actually, when we were putting the paper to bed very late on a Friday night, Nelson Mandela was lying on his um, deathbed in intensive care, taking a turn for the worse. And we thought, all right, okay, okay. And you almost flip a coin and go, all right, fuck it, we're doing it. We're doing the Nelson Mandela tribute. And we took out about five pages in the middle of the paper, lovingly laid out, beautiful. Nelson Mandela, a salute to a great man. And I'd just like to say to Nelson and the whole Mandela family, we're glad you're still hanging in there. Uh, two months on, who would have thought? Uh, what, a, what a fighter. That's why I became president, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I think Veronica's piece makes a, a kind of a greater point about anxiety in our online interactions, Joe. Mm. Making oneself look good on social media. Yes. Um, Effortless in my case. Yeah. Is retweeting every positive comment from your readers helpful to you? Is that... Uh, <laughs> It's helpful to me. Um, you know, like, like, like most people, you know, there are the tears of the clown, Dan. I, I cry on the inside every time, every time someone says, you know, you fucking hack, you work for Murdoch Rag, fuck you. Like, that, so you got that my hurt. emails. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> That's right. And, and, you know, and even when it's not from your mum, it can still be... <laughs> Still be quite hurtful. So, you know, it's just, it's just a way of, you know, just a grand... And also try to retweet the abuse as well, just so that, you know, people who, have, who are following me have something to agree with. Something, someone and some other people to troll. <laughs> now, Instagram is the home of our Australia's favourite narcissist, Kevin Rudd. Um, do, you, do you think that Kevin indulged in a little bit too much selfie love, Tracy? Not at all, because he's such a dork. He got away with it at the start and we laughed at him, but then familiarity bred contempt. Although, <laughs> as a dork myself, I'm embarrassed to admit I didn't even know what a selfie was until I started talking about Kevin Rudd. I also thought LOL meant a lots of love, not Ooh, laugh out loud. Yeah. Very bad. You've got to be careful about that one. Um, Joe, yeah, what do you think about Kevin? What about you? What do you think about Kevin's narcissistic <laughs> ways on social media? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's right. I mean, Kevin is... a. Uh, Kevin is a massive narcissist and he's a massive nerd. So if you give him a, a computer device that also, you know, takes a picture of yourself and sends it to millions of followers, I mean, you're just you're playing with fire. This is Island of Dr Moreau kind of shit. <laughs> a rational fear. We haven't mentioned Tom Waterhouse once this episode. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Hildebrand. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>
Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you very much, Dan, for putting me on after the two comedians. You <laughs> cunt. Um, my, um, my rational fear uh, has always been, my whole life has been sharks, but uh, that's obviously been taken. And I've... Um, <laughs> as have many of their victims. And, um, and so I, I, wanted, I thought this was meant to be a bit more serious, you know, and um, I was wrong about that. But um, I am... I, <laughs> a lot of you may not know this. I used to be a journalist. Um, and so I thought I'd do a bit of research... Um, and uh, the, the, the research around I thought, all right, we'll take a period of time, right? So we'll call it the 20th century. Um, in the 20th century, there were eight fatal shark attacks in California alone. <laughs> Over the same period, 160 million people were killed in wars. Although, to be fair, that was not just in California. <laughs> that was, you know... Everywhere. Um, and I thought to myself, well, you know what? People are actually more dangerous than sharks. Because a shark is obviously the most dangerous thing that any person can think of. And people are even more dangerous than that. So that's pretty much the end of my argument. The rest is just filler. Um, Joe Hildebrand, everyone. No, I did some more research. So the international shark attack file, this is the other interesting thing. The international shark attack file which is compiled by people, not sharks, as the name would suggest, <laughs> has, found that, has found that since uh, the year 1580, uh, there have been uh, 2,463 confirmed unprovoked shark attacks, of which 471 were fatal, which raises, of course, the question, what is a provoked shark attack? <laughs> like... I mean, for fuck's sake, talk about blaming the victim. You know? You could have... You know, a 13-year-old boy was taken by a great white shark in the Great Australian Bite today, but he had it coming. You know, he shouldn't have called the shark names. Um, so I found that... He, and who, who, who came up with that terminology? People. People are evil. Um... <laughs> Uh, again, the same thing. I, um, I did, did some more research. Uh, in the, the United States, again, for some reason, they only seem to uh, register these figures in the United States. Between the years 1998 and 2001, uh, seven people were killed by tigers. But it, the, the, the site does state reassuringly that all but one fatal attack in the United States occurred in situations where tigers were privately owned or held in private facilities. <laughs> so perhaps if you do go out of your way to buy a tiger <laughs> and keep it in your house, obviously that counts as a provoked attack. <laughs> um, but anyway, so and I don't want you to... Get the wrong idea. So people, th th that is people doing this. They're buying tigers and then getting eaten by them. Uh, again, people emerge as the villains, villains here. I don't want you to think that I am in any way pro-animal <laughs> when I say this. Um, I hate them too. Um, and in fact, the people I hate the most are the ones who are really pro-animal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with a Facebook group 
called Vegans of Melbourne. <laughs> but they are just fucked up. What I loved about that when you said vegans of Melbourne, I don't know if you're familiar with it, this lady in the, in the middle here was like, no, I have not heard <laughs> I am it's definitely right. not aware. That's right, that's, right. that's right. It's okay now, madam. You're in Sydney. You're safe. It's all right. Um, so so, so I, I started looking up people, right, to find out more about them. And, <laughs> and one, of, one of the first, one of the first uh, hits you get is, of course, the very famous song, People, from Funny Girl, sung by Barbara Streisand, which goes, People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. That, that is just not true. <laughs> people... People who need people are not lucky at all. They're the opposite of lucky. They're, they're dependent. <laughs> they're, they're clingy. Um, I think Jean-Paul Sartre had a better idea, of course, when he coined the famous phrase, l'enfer c'est l'autre, which is um, translated according to Wikipedia. I don't know what I just said then. It could have been... <laughs> But, of course, hell is other people. And we know that's true. We know that's true. You, you only have to go, like, what is the first thing? And I'm not just talking about, you know, bad people. Although, if you think about it, think about every asshole you've ever met. They've all been people, haven't they? <laughs> but even, even... Even if you don't know, even if it's just chance, right... Like, so say you're sitting on the train, right? Because I do, even though I'm a celebrity, I like to keep it real. <laughs> you're sitting on the train and you're sitting there just minding your own business. Train doors open, someone gets on. What's the first thing you think? You think, I hope that person doesn't sit next to me. <laughs> you don't know who they are. It could be Nelson fucking Mandela. And it really could be because he is still alive. Still alive. Still alive. <laughs> Despite what you may have read in the Daily Telegram. Um, and whenever, whenever, whenever people, like whenever there's an interaction between people, whenever people approach you, it's, it's never comfortable. It's never good. People, people come up to me, they do, I know, it's hard to believe, but people, you know, people who don't go to the opera house come up to me. <laughs> and they'll come and say, you know, haven't I seen you on television? I, go, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I wasn't the one watching. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it was me. Maybe it's someone. Else. I don't know. I don't know. And the best, and the, um, the really good one is, um, and this this always seems to happen. And this is my favourite one, where um, it's and it's always a slightly older Italian or Greek guy who'll come up. And they'll, they'll they'll just walk right up without fear. They'll tug your tug your shoulder. They'll tap you on the shoulder. They go, hey hey, you that guy on television, right? I go, uh, yep. And I go, yes. <laughs> like, so what are you, what are you fist pumping yourself for? <laughs> so I'm the one on television. <laughs> um, so yeah. So anyway, so that's that's what happens when people come together. The other thing that that worries me, um, and we've touched on it a bit tonight, but the, the ultimate result of people coming together is democracy. And what does democracy get you? It gets you 
Clive Palmer. It gets you the Australian Motoring Enthusiast Party. Uh, it gets you Bill Shorten. <laughs> Even though he tried to stack it so it didn't get him Bill Shorten. So at least they tried. Um, the, the other thing, and so if you look at democracy, the thing that troubles me with democracy, the more people focus on democracy, the more they, they focus on, on people, the worse it is. Think about the, the, the parties we've had elected recently. We've got obviously the Democratic Labor Party. They're still there. I don't think that still exists. You've got the Liberal Democrats, who are neither Liberal nor Democrats. <laughs> then you've got just the plain old Democrats. Look what happened to them. <laughs> and then you've got the, 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 the countries where these parties actually win and you get people in charge of a whole country. So you end up with the People's Republic of China, the Lao People's Democratic Republic, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. That's the bad one, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> So the People's Republic of Angola, the People's Republic of Benin, the People's Republic of the Congo, the People's Republic of Ethiopia, the People's Republic of Kampuchea, the, people, the People's Republic of Yemen. I mean, it's basically a defat list of where not to go. <laughs> so I will, I will wrap up now. I'll, I'll leave the final words uh, to the NRA, who, of course, have famously said, guns don't kill people, people kill people. <laughs> So, if you're a person, you're either a murderer or about to get shot by one. <laughs> Joe Hildebrand, thank you for your opinion. Now, the NSA have been busted spying on everyone, including German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Julia Gillard, who was in Washington, D.C. at the time of this news breaking, um, made light saying that if her phone was tapped by America, all they would have heard was praise for Barack Obama. Well, not so, Julia. We've managed to get hold of some of your recordings, so be warned, what you're about to hear may underwhelm you. They watched over the communications of 35 world leaders. The NSA has been spying in France, Mexico, and Brazil. The NSA may have been spying on Chancellor Angela Merkel. One other woman was caught in their trap. Her telephone was hacked, her privacy invaded, and now her secrets are out. Good evening, Tim. I'm stuck in traffic, but I'm moving forward. On the demands of her leadership. I will not take no for an answer. Tim, run me a bath. On international relations. No, thank you, Ramesh. We're very happy with our current electricity providers. It even brought about her own downfall. Yes, yes, just a little kangaroo knitting it myself. I think they'll like it. Tapes. No, Tim, you hang up. Oh, Tracy Spicer! A rational First of all, thank you so much, Dan, for putting me on after three young, funky, comedic geniuses, including the acceptable face of News Limited, Joe Hildebrand. I am but a simple news anchor and my brain has turned to porridge after 25 years of reading an autocue. Which is why tonight, at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, I will argue that the Christian fundamentalists are right. This week, Christian Snippets Australia sent out a newsletter. Isn't that quaint, a newsletter? I thought they went out with public floggings and witch burnings. It warned the recent bushfires were a prelude to what would happen if the New South Wales Parliament voted for gay marriage. And I quote, 
This is a final attempt to avoid the foreboding disasters God will bring down upon our head should this bill be passed. And it got me thinking, you know, yes, they're right. The rapture is nigh. The signs are everywhere. As the good Lord said, in the lead up to the second coming, all things shall be in commotion, defined as a state of confused disturbance. So I ask you to consider this. Two days ago at Sydney Town Hall, that big bad bastion of capitalism, Rupert Murdoch, otherwise known as Joe Hildebrand's boss, gave a speech praising, of all things, egalitarianism and libertarianism. He was later spotted sharing a spliff with Clover Moore and David Leyenhelm singing the Internationale. Speaking of that batshit crazy gun nut, I hope you have insurance to cover us for defamation, Dan. The Liberal Democratic Senator is delighted that shooters will be allowed in New South Wales National Parks from next month. I hear Vladimir Putin is coming down to shoot some wild homosexuals. (laughs) Of course, shooting won't be allowed at night because, as we all know, bullets like vampires lose their power during the day, right? Thank the Lord. In another sign that the end is nigh, left-wing feminist commentators are telling women that perhaps they shouldn't get drunk because it might increase the chance of rape. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the problem really started when we got the right to vote. The Protestant reformer John Noe said as much in his seminal tome from 1588 entitled, The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. This is what he wrote about why women should not lead. For who can deny but it repugneth to nature that the blind shall be appointed to lead, that the weak, the sick and impotent persons, the foolish and mad shall govern? He wrote this of Elizabeth I, but it equally applies to Julia Gillard, I'm sure you agree. (laughs) For in the words of the John Noe of the 21st century, Tony Abbott, it would be folly to expect that women will ever dominate because their aptitudes, abilities and interests are different for physiological reasons. The PM reiterated this point on Wednesday by being snapped shopping for yet another blue tie. He wants to look good, cometh the rapture. You see, all of this led to my epiphany. It came in the form of a tweet from Fred Nile. I'd written a particularly hard-hitting column about letting my little girl play with... little boy play with dolls and my little girl go vroom-vroom with toy cars. Fred tweeted, Tracy Spicer using children as part of sick experiment in social engineering. is a true story. And so it came to pass that my daughter said she wanted to be an automotive engineer instead of a housewife who does the ironing. Jesus wept. Fred, Tony, you were right. I was wrong. As I said, any student of theology knows a series of unusual events like this leads to the second coming, which the Electoral Commission confirmed on Thursday night. Clive Palmer, hallowed be thy name, will enter the lower house after crossing the River Styx. He is the Messiah, not a very naughty boy. In keeping with the modern era, this is the new improved version. This is Jesus 2.0. That bearded hippie could only turn water into wine. This one turns lumps of dirt into cold, hard cash. Forget about the loaves and fishes. He'll feed more than 5,000 with his plan to cut income tax by 15%. Just like magic, everyone will spend more exponentially replacing the government's lost income with extra GST. Praise the Lord, it's a miracle. 
By now, ladies and gentlemen, you would have to conclude the Christian fundamentalists are right. The end is indeed nigh. After wading through this pool of porridge in my brain, I've decided there are two paths we can take, a fork in the road, if you like. The first, we must discard any notion of gay marriage. Furthermore, we must throw out all of the same-sex electricity adapters in the house. (laughs) In case they start consorting with each other, as Family Voice Australia wisely warned. The second path, we can invite Rupert Murdoch, Tony Abbott, Vladimir Putin, Clive Palmer and all the Christian fundamentalists for a session of night shooting in the Murrumbidgee National Park and see who's left standing. God help them. Tracy Spicer. A a, a rational fear. Our next guest grew up in the pleasant streets of sectarian Belfast. He's a philosopher, theologian, believer and a doubter. He's a leader in the radical Christianity movement and his dangerous idea is that religion is okay. Please welcome Peter Rollins. Here he is. Thanks, Pete. We're running a bit long. I'm sorry. Uh, I, they were saying back there. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't think I'd get on. Uh, so let, let's do this. Dot point form. Yes. Uh, religion, good or bad? <laughs> Go. Go. Well, no whammies. It, uh, oh, that's difficult. Bad. It's got Justin Bieber. It's got like uh, MC Hammer. No, well, it's not good. Uh, what I wanted to quickly talk about is atheism. Now, atheism yeah. is so trendy right now. It seems that uh, this whole movement of new atheism is kind of taking over a lot of discourse with religion. Um, why is that? Well, I, I guess atheism always arises when a theism becomes reactionary, problematic, uh, when it uh, justifies those in power, and it's used to oppress poverty and that kind of thing. So atheism is always a response to a problematic theism. There's loads of different atheisms, and there's loads of different theisms. So um, I guess that's why it's trendy, because theism's so crap. <laughs> why, why for you is religion so important to you? Why, why are you spending your life travelling around the world telling people that religion is okay? Well, you see, for this whole thing, I was given the term new, atheist, or new religion. I'm the new religion guy. I, I don't uh, take that term myself, you know. But I'm interested in the area of faith, the idea that maybe you could reinterpret uh, Christianity not as a mode of belief, not as theistic or as atheistic or as anything like that, not a way of believing stuff, but a way of being in the world. That's what I'm arguing. So kind of like a counsellor rather than, um, rather than something being dictated to. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm reading Christianity as a way of embracing unknowing, embracing our brokenness, uh, realising that life is difficult and learning to live with that. Um, a lot of people would... Well, um, I know... I have friends who are atheists who are so public about their atheism. My friend Tim Minchin is one of those okay. people. And I always get upset when Tim is so combative in public... Uh, about people who believe in, in religion. That's what I've, I've never understood that. When people are so, like, vocally and proudly atheist, who are you trying to impress? Yeah, uh, when religion means right. a lot to a lot of people. If there's no God, what difference does it make? <laughs> yeah. Who's listening? Like, I'm a bigger atheist than he is. He stands by a lot of pretty weird things, though. He always performs with no shoes on. Yeah, I hate those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... What, what do you say to that, to those people who are kind of, uh, who really, you know, bash atheism, atheism over the heads of, of religious people? Yeah. Well, I mean, what I was arguing today is that people treat uh, fundamentalism as a problem, but I see it as a solution to a problem. It exists because the people aren't able to deal with certain antagonisms and unknowing in themselves. And if 
you take on new atheism as a new set of, a new protection mechanism, a new belief. If, if, for example, you're an alcoholic and I get you to stop drinking alcohol, you'll become a chain smoker or you're obsessively into fitness. If I don't solve the problem that alcoholism is the solution for, you'll find another symptom. So for me, sometimes new atheism just becomes a form of new religion, a new tribal identity, a new way of protecting ourselves from facing our brokenness. Is that how you see religion, just as a thing to kind of identify who we are and as a way to kind of protect ourselves from life? I see it largely as, yeah, tribal identity, a way of giving us answers and protecting us from unknowing. Certainly a lot easier than a tattoo, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, What what kind of, you know, you're billed as this guy who's um, the radical Christianity movement guy, and what does your radical Christianity give that a regular church doesn't? Yeah, well, ra- radical Christianity is about this embrace of brokenness and unknowing, and it's arguing that Christianity isn't about ticking some boxes and getting to heaven. It's not about life after death. It's about the possibility of life before death. That um, exists? Yeah, well, I don't know if it does, but I'm hoping it does. Um, and, and I'm not trying to set up a new religion, because, uh, I mean, I am. I, I want the golden toilet seat. I want the private jets. I want the people to drink the Kool-Aid and do what I say. But that would be bad. What I'm primarily interested in is... Uh, That would be great, to be honest. Um, It would be a good laugh, but it would pass the time. But the main issue is uh, I'm interested in whatever religious traditions exist to break them open, uh, to interrogate them, and to try and uh, get them moving again. I always just assumed that the difference between Christianity and radical Christianity was that the latter had skateboards. (laughs) (laughs) I should should have skateboarded in, actually. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Peter Rollins. Thank you. you. Now, rational fear. Before we say goodbye, we want to leave you with with what you should be scared about next week. Here's Lewis Hobber with your top three fearsome fears. The ABC will reveal that the next series of Redfern Now will just be about white, unemployed musicians and baristas who have been priced out of Newtown. And the Opera House is found to have lied about its birthday on Facebook to see which friends were paying attention and will celebrate its actual birthday in January. And finally, the missing 1,400 WA ballot papers turn up at a satirical comedy event at the Sydney Opera House in an Oprah-style comedy sketch. That's right. Everyone goes home with a West Australian ballot paper. You get a ballot paper. You get a ballot paper. Look under your chairs, everybody. Everyone's going home with a West Australian ballot paper. A Rational Fear is produced and hosted by Dan Illick. This episode is written by Stephen K. Smith, James Coley, Jess Redwood, Kevin James, Mark Humphries, I know we ran a little over time, but I think it was worth it for that joke. Uh, we had to cut a few things on the way. Um, please follow us on social media. Get your phones out now. Become friends with us. Please um, join us on Twitter. Uh, our next show is December 2nd at the FBI Social. Uh, we've grown this show from a podcast to be broadcast on community radio, to be broadcast on annoying uh, listeners on Radio National, and now we're here at the Opera House, and next week we're back at the FBI Social. So that'll be good, uh, that, uh, where we belong. So thank you very much, everyone. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.